0: This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on iOS developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average iOS developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the iFreaks link you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept
1: a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash iFreaks. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 132 of the iFreaks show. Today in our panel, we have Andrew Manson. Hello from Salt Lake City. And I'm James Uber, who needs no introduction. Sure. has a bit of an ego problem today. Uh, but t- our guest today is Felix Krauss.
2: Felix, do you want to say something about yourself? Hey, everyone. Thanks for having me. I'm calling today from San Francisco.
3: And can you tell us a little bit about um, what you do and why you're interesting? I think a lot of our listeners already know who you are. but
2: Right, yeah. So, so I'm Felix. I developed this open source software called Fastlane. It's a set of open source command line tools that help you automate all aspects of building and deploying your application. And recently I joined Twitter to work full-time on Fastlane. So that's why I'm in San Francisco now.
3: So I, I've used Fastlane a little bit, especially lately. I think it's it's really cool. I think probably a lot of our listeners have used it. It's gotten quite popular. But I'm curious to know how the whole thing started. So when did you start on Fastlane and, and what was the motivation behind that?
2: So at one of my previous companies I worked at, we had a solution, a mobile app solution for golf clubs. And every golf club had their own application which all had the same core, but different content. So basically, we had to maintain and publish a few dozens of applications, all with the same code. And so every time I updated the code, I needed to deploy new versions to the App Store. So I decided to automate all this and developed something for this company in particular. And when I was talking with other iOS developers, they were all really interested in how I did the deployment, not so much about... How the golf app works so i then decided to implement the same thing the right way so that all the companies around the world can use the same thing i use for this company
3: was this something you just did on your own uh, in, like in your spare time at first or were you able to get the company to s- sort of sponsor it because i think it's been open source since the very beginning is that right
2: yes it's been open source since the beginning so I developed this during my last year of university in my spare time. And the way I usually do it, I develop it not being open source. And as soon as it's ready and people have tested it, I make the repository public on GitHub.
3: Yeah, I, I like that style of development. It keeps you from putting something out there that's embarrassing. So tell us a little bit about how, can you give us sort of a really high level overview of how you put Fastlane together? So it's a, it's a whole collection of tools, right?
2: Yeah, it's important to know that Fastlane tools is like a collection of tools that help you with all kinds of things. So, for example, there's Deliver, there's Snapshot, there's Frame It. So each of these tools solve one very specific task. And Fastlane itself is a tool on top of all these other tools that connects all Fastlane tools and third-party tools into one workflow. So you just define which tools and which steps to run, and Fastlane will execute them in the right order. Additionally, Fastlane integrates with a lot of third-party tools. So right now there are around 130 integrations available.
3: So, well, I want to get back to this because um, I think we can talk about it in more depth, but you have a plugin architecture essentially, right? So other contributors can pretty easily write new actions for for Fastlane to integrate with some other, you know, just to, to integrate with some other tool or to perform some action that is not built in and can hopefully contribute those back if they're useful,
2: Yes, that's right. Uh, it's very flexible. So when Fastlane first launched, there were only 10 integrations, and now it's over 100. Most of them were contributed by users. So there's even a command, which is Fastlane space new action, and it will help you set up a new action for you. So you just have to write the implementation itself. You can even extend Fastlane locally, so only you have a new action that is, for example, very particular to your own company. And additionally, you can also always call shell scripts or other kind of scripts from within Fastlane, so you can easily use your existing build scripts and automation scripts.
3: So what language is Fastlane itself written in, or or are these tools written in?
2: Yeah, it's all written in Ruby. In particular, interesting is that all configuration files, so each of the tools has configuration files, like a fast file, a deliver file, a snap file, they are all based in Ruby similar to what CocoaPods does with the pod file. So this allows the user to have a very flexible configuration. So most users don't know the right Ruby in this configuration files, because it basically looks like a mix between JSON and YAML, and you can do very flexible things, like you can have loops there, you can fetch values on demand from a remote server, and You can even like extend it to use your own gems within these configuration files.
3: Why did you choose Ruby? Was there some reason at the beginning for that? Were you inspired by another project? or, Or what was your thinking behind that?
2: So there were two big reasons for that. The first one is that CocoaPods is based on Ruby. So I thought it makes sense to use the same language to offer better integration. And secondly, there was Nomad Tools, which is developed by Matt Thompson. So these are tools like Shenzhen, Cupertino, and so on and they were a big inspiration for me because these tools were so simple and worked so well and they were also based on Ruby and in the beginning I integrated some of them in within Fastlane
3: That actually leads perfectly into what was going to be one of my next questions which is I I think probably a lot of people know about Nomad I think it's been around longer than Fastlane And How does Fastlane differ from or improve upon Nomad? Because I think some of the things that Nomad does are, are the same sorts of things that Fastlane does
2: Yes, that's true. So in the beginning, many of the tools used nomad tools. Some of them, in particular, Shenzhen is a very cool project. And so I just integrated them because I don't want to reinvent. I didn't want to reinvent the wheel. And the problem is that nomad tools are not actively maintained anymore. So the only one with commit access is Matt Thompson, who is not working on it anymore. So basically I had to kind of re-implement the most important project, Shenzhen which is now available within Fastlane under the name of Jim. So it was completely rewritten under the Fastlane architecture and supports the latest APIs for Xcode 7. But yeah, in general, Fastlane is using Nomad tools and is still using some of them.
3: Oh, interesting. I, I, don't, I don't think I realized that at all, that it was actually using some of Nomad.
2: For example, yeah, there's one project called Cupertino to like register devices or fetch provisioning profiles. So for a long time, Fastlane was using that to register new devices, but after the recent changes of the Apple Developer Portal, I completely switched to Spaceship, one of the Fastlane tools, to register new devices.
1: So your initial problem you were trying to solve was you work with golf clubs, and by golf clubs, you're not talking about like the the driver or the number nine. You're talking about like caddyshack, like golf clubs where people go and play. And you had an application which you. White labeled for different golf clubs, so you you would have to maintain a bunch of different versions of this application that's specific for you know some golf club in Florida or some golf club in scotland is is that the what you were trying to solve?
2: Yes, correct basically white labeling of applications It has nothing to do with golf courses themselves. It was just that we had a lot of applications and I didn't want to manually deal with that
1: okay, so there's a number of companies that have apps that do white labeling and they've got different processes for doing a bunch of different applications. That's not what most of us are doing day to day or most of our companies. They don't have, you know, hundreds of applications. What are some of the things that, you know, these tools help you with for people that are just doing have one application?
2: Interesting question. Yeah. So in the beginning I thought about doing it primarily for white labeling, white label applications, but people started using it for their own app. Like if they're only working on one application. So one example where fasting helps you save a lot of time very quickly is generating screenshots using Snapshot. So you generate localized screenshots for all the language and device combinations and then upload them using Deliver. So the interesting thing about that is if you support 10 languages with 6 devices, now with the iPad Pro, and 5 screenshots each, you end up with 300 screenshots you have to generate. And then you have to upload them to iTunes Connect. So this is something that's not scalable because you have to change the screenshots every time you change the design of the application or every time there's a new device or every time you add a new language. Okay. Um, so
1: so, are the, on, are the, so the screenshots for like say iTunes connect for what goes in the app store. Yes. That's what I mean. Mm-hmm. So typically how that works, like I'll talk to whoever's in charge of deciding what screens are going to be taking pictures of. How do you determine like what screens take an image of and which languages?
2: So within snapshot, you provide a u-automation file, which is based on Objective-C or Swift, which tells Snapshot how to navigate in your app, like tap here, tap here, and do this, and then where to take the screenshots.
1: Oh, very cool. Okay, so it just runs a UI automation script. Yes, so very nice. it,
2: it was used. It was based on UI automation up until a few months ago, and recently Snapshot 1.0 uses UI testing, which is now Objective-C and Swift.
1: Okay, very nice. So you just run through your app. So for UI testing, you just press the record feature if you've got UI testing in the app, click on some things and designate that. These are the things you take a screenshot of.
2: Yes. While it sounds very simple, it depends on how much accessibility support your application already has. But if you have good accessibility, it's usually really fast to implement.
3: I I used Snapshot on a project I was working on a few weeks ago, and I was very impressed. It's just a really cool tool that took a lot of pain out of something that was pretty hard before because it was an app that has seven localizations and runs on iPad and iPhone and I mean that's a lot of screenshots to take by hand so I, I very much appreciated what you did there.
2: That's great to hear.
3: And there's, an, there's another part of that that I used that I also thought was super helpful which is that you have a tool for for uploading all this kind of metadata to iTunes Connect. So if you take a bunch of new screenshots with a new version of your app and go into iTunes Connect, you have to drag all of these image files in for each localization, and it's pretty tedious, but you have a tool called Deliver, right, that will upload all of those just automatically.
2: Yes, that's correct, and it works seamlessly with Snapshot. So if you generate the screenshots using Snapshot and then just run Deliver, it just works. Up until now on iTunes Connect, you had to upload screenshots one by one at least now you can upload them five at the same time, right?
3: Yeah, but five at the same time, if you've got lots of devices and localizations, is still a lot. I think I had to upload 125 or something like that. 175 maybe it was, screenshots.
2: Did you try using Deliver for that? I I
3: did. I used Deliver, and it went really smoothly. But if I had not used Deliver, that would have taken me quite a long time.
2: Yeah, yeah. That's like Deliver not only uploads screenshots, but also app metadata and binaries. So with Deliver, you can actually... Upload all the metadata, the binary, and even submit your app for review.
3: So it turns out that I found Fastlane really useful just to use manually to do this kind of stuff. But it seems like a, a big use case for Fastlane is for continuous integration. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that a little? How how do people how are people using Fastlane there? And I, I think most of our listeners know, but for the benefit of those that don't, um, maybe explain a little bit about what continuous integration means, especially for iOS developers.
2: Right. So with continuous integration, you usually set up a server that uh, verifies that all tests are passing and your app compiles after each and every commit. So this is very useful to detect regressions early, to detect if you break something very early, so you can easily fix it or revert the change. So Fasting itself is not a CI server but can easily be used on your CI system, on your CI server. So most people use something like Jenkins or Travis CI or some other hosted CI solution. There is also Circle and Bitrise. And all of these hosted CI solutions that offer iOS machines have Fastlane pre-installed actually. So you can then use Fastlane to run the tests. It sounds easy to run tests. It's just Xcode build. But actually, there's a lot of things to consider, like the available simulators, the iOS version, and a lot of bugs to work around so that the simulator doesn't crash. And so Fastlane does all that for you. There is one tool dedicated for testing, which is called Scan. And Scan does all that for you. And it is pre-installed on the CI machine, so you can easily use it there. Um, yeah, that's, that's what Fastlane people use. As an alternative for running a CI server for iOS project is, of course, Xcode Bots or Xcode Server, which has a really nice UI. You set it up on your own, like Mac Mini or Mac Machine, and it is tightly integrated into Xcode.
3: I'd like to step back a little bit and and talk about, you talked about how you got started with Fastlane, but it's gotten really popular. So I I know a lot of people are using it. Uh, You just mentioned that it's pre-installed on a lot of these hosted CI solutions. And I'm sort of curious to know how you worked on growing the community and causing Fastlane to become popular and have this good support system.
2: That's an interesting thing. I don't know why it worked. So one interesting story that I actually had two versions of Snapshot a few years ago. So I launched Snapshot three times basically with different uh, different implementations, obviously. So the first version was based on Apple Script and it had like 10 GitHub stars and no one really used it except for me. And then I had a second version called R Screenshot and this was also not popular, like 20 stars on GitHub. And the current one has, I don't know, I think 1.5 thousand now. So it just took a while um, to get it right so that people see these tools, understand them and want to use them. And with each tool I launched or each new feature I launched, the spike of the people visiting these tools was getting bigger and bigger. That's mostly because there were more people like fascinated of how these tools work and to see how easy it is to use them. And one of the main marketing things were basically the iOS Dev Weekly, which comes out every Friday since I had... Zero marketing budget, obviously, because it's an open source project, and I was doing it in my spare time. iOS Dev Weekly was always my goal to get into, and this was probably one of the most important things to get into.
3: Oh, Interesting. Yeah, that that doesn't surprise me. I think so many developers subscribe to that, and we've had Dave, the guy who does uh, iOS Dev Weekly on the show before, and he he just does such a good job with it that... It has become really a go to resource for a lot of developers, so but that that doesn't surprise me. I think I heard about Fastlane on Twitter just from, you know, friend tweeting about it and
2: Yes. So for me personally, Twitter is the main communication platform. So I communicate with all my developer friends there. And in general I tweet mostly about Fastlane, obviously. And this is something I use. But some people don't read all the tweets, so they just glance over it. So they miss some news. And secondly, some people don't use Twitter, and those are the people I also reach with. I was definitely use, usually. And in the beginning, when I when I started Fastlane, I had like 200 followers maybe, uh, so it was really hard to get something out. And I was very lucky that Orta Derox from CocoaPods uh, was kind enough to retweet my first few tweets, which of course helped me a lot to get more followers and more traction on the on the GitHub repo.
3: So step one: make friends with Orta and maybe Dave. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've had Orda on the show too. Um, he's a he's a cool guy. Yeah. Well, so how many people now have contributed to Fastly, and I get the sense that it's still you doing a lot of the a lot of the work. But I think it's um you've done a good job at attracting other people to help with it. Is that true?
2: Yeah. So I as for now, I'm the only one having like the overall concept across all repos. But I do have a lot of contributors for like some of the projects. So right now I think it's 250 people contributed to all the repos. It's hard to get the actual number because there are like 25 repos now already. Uh, it's really hard to keep track. And a lot of people like told me it was the first contribution to open source. Just little things like correcting a spelling mistake within the source code and these kind of things. But this is working really well actually. And people in general submit issues on GitHub so all the discussion happens publicly, which is something I really like, so people can like search through issues and take part of the conversation.
3: We talked on our last episode last week about open source projects and sort of what it takes to run an open source project and managing one. And, um, and so sort of relevant to that last episode, I think I, I think I mentioned on our last episode that or tried to encourage people to go out and contribute. And I've, I've actually made a small contribution to Fastlane myself. And I must say, it was quite easy, I think, because of the way you've designed the project. It was quite easy to dive in and, you know, add a little bit of, uh, it was a little new feature that was useful to me, and I added it, and it was um a pleasant experience. So I think you're doing a good job, and I, I would say to listeners that this might be a good way, if you're using Fastlane and liking it, um, contributing to it, it would be a good way to sort of get into open source in that way.
2: That's good to hear. What kind of contribution was it?
3: So there's a there's an action for setting the setting the version number of your project based on your repository revision.
2: Yeah, and, the number of commits was it?
3: Right, and I I added support for doing that in a Mercurial repository because I I use Mercurial rather than Git yeah. at work. And so there was already an action there. I just added a a, a branch to it so that Mercurial would work. Right.
2: sounds good. Yeah, uh, for example, there's one. Uh, Repo which is called countdown and it allows you to quickly quickly get started Contributing to fastlane so it will clone all the repos and describe how you can run tests How you can run the tools locally and how you can submit a pull request So it should be really easy to for new users to get started It also gives you tips on how to debug in ruby how to configure your text editor and these kind of things Because most people of course are ios developers So they are usually not familiar with Ruby. But in general, the language is so easy that many people just say, excuse me for my Ruby, I'm not a Ruby developer. But usually it's it's just fine. There's nothing to change.
3: Yeah, I I found that very helpful. I'm not a Ruby developer. I sometimes find setting up I've I've sort of dabbled with Ruby before, but I always find the getting the whole Toolchain setup a little bit daunting. There are lots of different pieces, and it's just not what I'm used to. So you you gave clear instructions that made that pretty easy to get going with.
1: Yeah, that's good to hear. I'm noticing some of these tools that you actually do uh, code signing, provisioning. How do those work? Like when, when would you use those?
2: You mean how does all the code signing tools work in general?
1: Uh, not in general, but if you're used to doing going, doing it through Xcode or going to the Apple site, developer site, how do you integrate like, like sigh insert? how would you integrate that into your workflow
2: Okay yeah uh, so basically in code signing you need two two things three things you need the the code signing identity which is basically the certificate and the private key then you already have an app id which is basically your bundle identifier and then you have a provisioning profile that combines to do the 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 app id and the code signing identity so the concept is actually really simple. It's just sometimes hard to understand error messages and debug issues. So Xcode has some kind of syncing technique which is usually exposed using the fix issue button and the thing is that it is using Xcode managed provision profiles. So I don't want to touch them with Fastlane because I don't want to break anything with Fastlane. So for a really long time Fastlink couldn't even do anything destructive. It couldn't delete anything. It couldn't revoke anything. So this is one important thing. So it doesn't touch the the managed provision profiles, the actual managed provision profiles, but maintains its own set of provision profiles. And it has a very strict uh, naming rule, so it will always call them like bundle identifier and environment, so you can easily see what kind of provision profile it is. So basically, when you want to use these tools, you first run sales which will make sure to have a valid code signing identity installed on the local machine. And then you run sign to fetch or create a provisioning profile matching the code signing identity we just created. And once you have these two commands, you can already build and sign your application using a tool like Chim or using Xcode.
1: Okay, so these are separate than the ones that Apple will build for you through the website or whatever.
2: There are separate provision profiles, but you can see them on the Apple developer portal, of course.
1: Okay, you build on your own, then you submit them so that you can see them, but they're just different than what you would do normally. They are different from the Xcode managed ones. But Sci
2: does it the same way as if you would create them manually on the developer portal.
1: Okay,
3: so a lot of a lot of what Fastlane does requires Fastlane to interact with Apple, with iTunes Connect, with the developer portal, um, with Xcode, etc. I don't know anything about this, and I'm curious about how much of this stuff is covered by API that Apple publishes, and how much you sort of had to figure out how to do on your own.
2: That's a really interesting topic. So in the beginning, the first in release of Deliver, it used a headless JavaScript browser, browser called Poltergeist using capybara so basically it had a fully featured web fully featured web browser in the background you just couldn't see it and it would like click on buttons which of course is not great and so after a while i took a closer look of how the underlying api work works so instead of integrating that into the tools themselves i decided to have a separate ruby gem called spaceship that that basically provides a Ruby API for all the APIs from Apple's web services. So there are three different API endpoints Spaceship is using. First, there's iTunes Connect. iTunes Connect itself offers a very nice JSON API because the frontend is based on AngularJS. So this was fairly easy to integrate. Then there's the Apple Developer Portal, which provides some kind of XML, JSON, Mix API, and it is used for certificates, provisioning profiles, devices, and these kind of things. And then there is a third API, which is the Xcode API, the API that is used by Xcode when you like click sync provision profiles. So Spaceship unifies all these three API points and provides a unified Ruby API, which every developer can use to build their own tools. So I saw some really nice blog articles about people using Spaceship to migrate all their devices and certificates from one account to the new one, for example, from one Apple account to another one. And so all these other fastening tools use Spaceship to communicate with Apple.
3: Sounds like some of that was probably pretty challenging to implement, I would guess. I mean, I I don't think, you know, Apple designed, at least didn't design all of those services with developers in mind and... I just have a feeling you've run into trouble that you've had to fix or work around.
2: It, well let's say like let's put it like this. It was very fun working on it. <laughs> so there is no documentation for these API endpoints, but they're all publicly available and they're working really stable and it's amazingly fast. For example, if you generate a push notification profile using PAM, it takes under one or two seconds to do everything, like to submit a signing request. And then generate push notification profile. So it is really, really fast and really, really stable. And it allows, allowed me to have a very good test coverage as well. So since this is all web based, yeah, it's spaceship itself is all just a plain HTTP client. That's why it's so fast. And it has a test coverage of, I think it's 98%.
3: Has it been at all difficult for you to keep up with changes in Xcode? Cause I think, uh, especially the last couple of years, Xcode has, changed fast and changed a lot
2: not so much with xcode so the thing that recently took a lot of time are changes within itunes connect so just i think it was two months ago apple changed the way itunes connect works regarding app metadata so for example the name is not coupled to the version anymore these kind of things so these are like time consuming to update but the good thing is that since there's only one place to change, which is in spaceship. I'd work a few hours on this, push a new version of spaceship and all the other tools work again. And in general, I'm really fast like adapting these changes because I don't want fast to be in a broken state.
3: You mentioned at the very beginning of your, um, at your introduction that you now work for Twitter. And I think this was pretty, widely distributed news that uh, fastlane had been acquired f- by twitter and i'm kind of curious about how twitter found fastlane and you know what it is about fastlane that they like and
2: so i think it was briefly after the initial Fastlane release there was already a crashlytics beta integration so you can upload your builds to crashlytics beta for beta testing and basically they reached out to me to like ask if it was easy to integrate their sdk if I need any help, or if there's any way we can offer better integration between these two tools, and so we just like started talking about these kind of things, and we were thinking about offering better integrations and making it easier for developers to use these tools. And back then, I was initially supposed to go to Apple for an internship, which I basically cancelled because I wanted to work on Fastlane full time. And during the summer, Twitter and I we we came uh, back in touch again and we decided it makes sense to really work together and bring Fastlane forward. And over the summer, actually, Fastlane became more than a full-time job. So there are more and more people using it, and the more people use it, the more requests you get. More GitHub issues, more GitHub pull requests, more emails. So it quickly became a full-time job. So it made sense to be employed to work on Fastlane full-time. And yeah, that's why I'm here now. That's cool. How long have you been in San Francisco? Pretty much three months now, since September.
1: Very nice. Where did you live before?
2: So I'm originally from Austria, from Vienna. I studied in the UK for a year, and then I went straight to San Francisco.
3: Do you like San Francisco? How has the move been?
2: It's good so far. I mean, the people here are really great, and there are so many fun events going on, and so many like-minded people. And the craziest thing that happened so far is, I was walking around in the park, and someone recognized me, and basically thanked me for all my (laughs) fastlane tools like I didn't know this person obviously it was just someone walking around that's something that happens in San Francisco yeah
3: you're only a celebrity for your GitHub projects in San Francisco
1: yeah and Andrew you show up to Minneapolis you'll be a star yeah right (laughs) guarantee it I
3: I somehow doubt that Jane but I would like to visit Minneapolis sometime
1: I'll I'll put up a billboard (laughs) Andrew's coming
3: Is there anything about Fastlane that we haven't covered that you want to talk about?
1: So, in
2: general, I'm really happy about how positive and great the community around Fastlane is. So, I feel like every time I tweet about something I work on at Fastlane, people are super happy and supportive. I can ask questions and for feedback, and it's been really good. And in general, I feel like when I announced that I now work full-time on Fastlane under the name of Twitter, People were extremely happy and supportive about this. And it felt like everyone who contributed and every fan of fasting, they felt like it is their project because they contributed to it. I always ask for feedback. I value their opinion and so on. And I don't know how it works and why it is that way, but I'm super happy about how it turned out. I'm really glad about like, the whole community, uh, in particular fasting community, but also the whole iOS developer community.
1: Yeah, it's exciting to get you know, a big company behind you know, cool tools and have having people sponsored to work on them full time. So that's that's exciting for the whole community.
2: Yeah, that should happen more often for more projects.
1: I think it
3: reassures us too that you're not going to have to stop working on it because you get a, another job or whatever, and and you know sort of let it die like uh, like unfortunately Nomad has. It's hard. It's hard to maintain an open source project when you don't have any money coming in for it.
2: Yeah, and the. As soon as a project becomes popular, it is just so much work. And also, you don't only have to maintain it, but you also have to bring the project forward to stay up to date. Otherwise, it is slowly going to die.
3: I've been impressed at how fast you respond to issues. I've opened, I don't know, two or three issues on, on Fastlane tools and also submitted a pull request, and I think you were had an answer and a fix for them within, like, it seems like like I went to bed, and then the next morning you had email, or you had updated the issue saying you had fixed it, and I was, you know... It was super fast turnaround, so whatever you're doing, you're doing a good job.
2: Well, thank you. I'm, I'm happy about this. In general, yeah, I'm, I push releases like very, very often. So in general, I guess I have around three to five releases a day of different tools because every tool is like its own champ. And because as soon as there is a bug and as soon as I have a fix for this bug, I don't want this bug to be around in production anymore. That's why I push a fix. So, because this quickly became a problem, because people kind of complained that they always need to update Fastlane, they just update it and they run it and it's already out of date, uh, there is even an option in Fastlane to automatically keep itself up to date if the user wants that.
3: If people are listening to this and they, they have not used Fastlane in the past and, they, and they're interested and they want to get started using it, how should people go about learning about it and getting set up to use it?
2: So, in general, the website Fastlane.tools is a good start. Because you can get an overview of the available tools and what you can do with them. And there is also a video of a presentation at NS conference, which might help. But I just recently gave a talk at Cocoaheads in Stockholm. I tweeted about the video, but I can like send it to you afterwards to put it on their blog, uh, which is a good way to get started with Fastlane because I also have during the presentation, I do a live demo where I have an empty Xcode project. And set up Fastlane from scratch to generate screenshots, to build and sign application, and to upload all that to iTunes Connect. So I think it usually helps to see something like this in action.
3: Yeah, you should send those to us, and we'll put them in the show notes. Are there any problems that people run into using Fastlane that you know not not problems because of bugs or whatever, but just parts of using it that are difficult?
2: So yeah, right now some people still have difficulty setting up code signing because it is not super easy. And as it is now with fasting, you still have to understand how the basic concept of code signing works. I have the feeling that Apple wants to go away of that and wants to make it super easy for you to actually code sign. You see the fix issue button and the syncing of profiles and these kind of things. So in the long run, people will probably not have to think about code signing, but right now you still have to know how it works. I think that's one of the main issues people currently face.
3: I can agree with that. I've been doing iOS development since the very beginning, and it has always been hard. Code signing has always been hard. It's gotten a lot better than it was, but uh, still. Yeah, I like-
2: sometimes you have to just revoke all the certificates and pushing profiles and create it from scratch.
3: Yeah, and I like the name of Fastlane's tool, Psy. That's good.
2: Yeah. <laughs> also, this name was given uh, to me by a fan, like <laughs> by a contributor. It was not my idea.
3: Yeah, you the names, the names for Fastlane tools are actually pretty clever. I didn't really think to ask, but, um, how did you, how do you come up with names?
2: That's the hardest part. Also coming up with colors. I always run a lot of colors. Uh, but for example, gym is like the name has something to do with building because of bodybuilding and gym. So there's always some kind of connection between the tool and what it does. It's really hard to come up with names because they have to be short. Like people have to remember them. So one thing I also did sometimes is to look at a list of three-letter words and just see what words there are and what words would make sense. And I always have to make sure that the name is free because RubyChamps name has to be unique. Like you cannot have two champs under the same name. Oh, yeah. But yeah, usually it helps to just talk with people, ask them for feedback, and they have some pretty good ideas. So just hanging out with friends and asking them for random names helps.
3: There's, a, there's something, I don't know how new this is, but I just found out about it recently, but you've now got some support for Android development in Fastlane. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that came about and sort of where you're going with that?
2: Yeah, it makes sense to use the same deployment tool for iOS and Android. So basically for all major mobile platforms. So it was the plan for a long time already, but now that I work full-time on it, it enabled me to like focus on Android as well. So we have some basic android support right now so you can run tests you can build your android application you can upload it to crashlytics beta you can upload it to google play and you can even like upload app metadata to google play to the console so the basic feature set is already there but we are working on like improving that offering more tools offering improved documentation but the plan is that if an ios team is already using fastlane is that they tell the Android team, hey, Fasten is now available for Android as well. Don't you want to use it so we have the same tool for the deployment?
3: Were you an Android developer, or are you an Android developer? Or?
2: Not at all, no. I'm an iOS developer.
3: Have you just had to learn fast, or have you gotten help with this? Because I've I've never done Android development at all, and it seems sort of daunting to try to figure out all of these same problems for Android when you've already done it for Xcode and for Apple's.
2: Yeah, stuff. so Android in Android is not as... Like the Android release process is not as complex as the iOS one. So code signing, for example, is much, much easier. It is not better, but it's easier from the user. And I already implemented parts of it for this previous company, for the golf course company, because we also had an Android app. So I had some basic knowledge on how the release process works without knowing anything about Android development itself. And now that I work at Twitter, I basically had the resources to talk to people who Developed a lot of Android applications already. Talk about the pain points they're facing and where Fastlane can help.
1: Very cool. Anything else we want to talk about before we get to the picks?
2: I think that's all from my side. Do you have any questions? Any other ones?
1: No, I'm ready to get started using Fastlane. So I haven't been using it. Yeah, you should, you should. You should, John. The team I've been working with has their own, own setup. I'm, they might be using it under the hood, but we have someone who handles all that for us, which is nice. And the other projects I have are small enough where... I just haven't had a chance to, but no, this would save me time because I do a lot of the stuff myself for, you know, smaller clients and things like that. So I'm pretty impressed with it. So I'm glad to get the intro.
3: I think each one of these tools from Fastlane, even if you were only going to use one of these tools, they're all, they're all useful. In particular, I mentioned Snapshot has been really good for me, but Snapshot and and Deliver both, but they all do something that uh, is either difficult or just would be hard to automate on your own or I mean I can't I, I really recommend checking this out. You know, even if you're small, you're just your 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 own developer writing your own apps. There's probably something here that will save you time.
2: Yeah, and in general, going from one tool to Fastlane, the umbrella tool, is very easy. so it even offers to like move all the existing files into the fastlane subfolder. So it's very easy to get started with one tool. And then if you like it, you can start using Fastlane to automate more and more things.
1: All right. Well, let's get to the picks. Andrew, what do you have for us?
3: See, I've got a couple picks today. My first pick is we talked about iOS Dev Weekly. So I think a lot of our listeners probably already subscribed to that. And if you don't, definitely go subscribe. But there's another newsletter that I've been subscribed to for a little while now called Swift Sandbox. This is a it's all about Swift. And, uh, I think, I think the guy who does this, uh, this is about his third, um, you know, newsletter about something, but this one, this one is the one that I've enjoyed the most. Uh, his other ones have been good too, but, uh, it's just every week an email in your, in your inbox with a bunch of links to cool new Swift stuff. And this week he covers, uh, One thing I thought that was cool is a new library for music theory. It's a pretty small library that lets you do programming um, around music theory with scales and notes and all of that. There's also a a link to something that's gone around a little that is a server side Swift framework that has recently come out currently is only for OS 10, but they're planning to put it on Linux when it goes open source. And you'll just find cool stuff in here, new, new stuff. You didn't know about Swift, um, new libraries, new projects, new developer tools. So that's definitely worth checking out. Uh, my second pick, I kind of almost think I have picked before, but, uh, it's getting to be time to get your Christmas shopping done. So this is a good place to do it. There's a um, guy named Chris McVeigh that essentially creates his own Lego sets and sells them. And he does some really cool stuff. He's got some Christmas ornaments, but he also has uh, a bunch of models of like old retro computers, uh, arcade machines, things like that. I have one of his models of a, a 1984 Mac and I really like it. So That's Chris McVeigh and also known as Power Pig.
1: Those are my picks. Okay, I've got one pick. We just did our turkey for Thanksgiving, and we brined it this time. So you take like two gallons of water, one to two cups of salt, and you can do it different things like herbs and things. It really helps out your turkey. Let it soak for 24 hours, and then you can cook it. And it saves you because we've got a new oven this year. And this oven actually holds the temperature you think it does, because every other year we've done a turkey. It always takes an hour too longer than we think it's going to. And I would have just torched this bird. It was too hot, and it came out edible. So it came out a pretty good bird. And, yeah, brining. So brine your turkeys next time. A lot of us grew up not really liking turkey because it was always dry and just wasn't that good. But look up a recipe for brining next time you have to cook a turkey, and you'll come out looking good. So that's my pick. Felix, do you have any picks for us?
2: Yes, so the first few two are about developer tools. In particular, I'm a big fan of Git Tower, which is a Git client. I use it to stage smaller changes, like just a few chunks or a few lines, so you can be very specific on what you want to stage and commit. The second pick is my iTerm setup. So every time I post a screenshot on Twitter or GitHub, people always ask me, what kind of terminal do I have? How do I set up so that they look like it? And because I got asked this so many times already, I set up a Git repo describing the setup with over 100 stars on GitHub already. This is very easy to set up. It takes a few minutes and your terminal will look much, much nicer. And the last pick for the day for me is something non-technical, which is Google Flights, which is a great way to find flights if you are flexible, On what day or time you fly, because sometimes it's so much cheaper to book a flight if you fly like one day earlier, one day later, and it will help you save a lot of time and money.
1: Well, very cool. Well, Felix, thanks for coming on the show. We learned a ton, and thanks for all your work with Fastlane. It's a great tool, and a lot of people are getting really good use out of it. And yeah, I'm excited to dig into it myself.
0: Yeah, thank you for having me. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net.
1: Bandwidth for this segment is provided
0: by CashFly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with CashFly. Visit dot ycom to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the iFreaks and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a form that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. You can sign up at iFreaksShow.com slash
1: forum.